Father, we bless you and we thank you. You are good and you pour your heart out to your people. And we can trust you. Because your relationship with us is stronger than our relationship with you. And we trust your relationship with us because it's trustworthy. Holy Spirit, we ask you lead and guide us closer to the feet of Jesus. You expose the things in our lives that cause us to pull away and pull, pull back. You may lay them at the feet of God. That the prayer of Jesus would be fulfilled. And we would be one. And we are one. We thank you, Father, for your grace, for your, your presence. Father, I'm praying a specific prayer of protection over every word that you've just infused and imparted to these people that it would not be stolen, they would be protected by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that the birds of the air would not devour the things the Lord is speaking, and Father, that it would land on good soil in their hearts and minds, that it would grow to bring forth a harvest that's pleasing to you, because our existence is wrapped up in bringing you glory. You've created us for your pleasure, not ours. So may your people demonstrate the things of your kingdom to bring glory to the king. May the manifestation of the gospel be upon their lips, hands, hearts, and mouths. And your kingdom would be furthered, your son would be glorified, and you'd be lifted up. We bless you and we honor you and we thank you and we praise you. In your name we pray and we ask these things believing. Amen. Oh gosh, appreciate you guys. So blessed by our worship team. These guys are so good. Oh, everybody okay? Uh, we had a Sunday evening service a little while back, and we don't normally, I don't normally share a preach, and I was stating that fact, and someone in the audience said, that's good, that I wasn't going to preach, because these guys are better than I am. So, uh Let's, um, before we get going, um, you guys put that slide back up there for Gladstone. I really, for those of you uh, who missed uh, the announcement, I apologize deeply, but we had a little mishap. Um, Dr. Gladstone got COVID, and he wasn't able to be here this weekend. Uh, he's over it, but he's just, we he's really weak right now, so he's, he's in recovery. But we managed to reschedule, and uh, he sends his uh, apologies to us, and uh, we're praying for our greater glory. Um, from what was stolen, but the new dates, 28th through the 30th, which is only a couple weeks away. So put that on your calendars. I'll be posting that on Facebook. It'll be Friday night at 6, Saturday at 6 in the evening, and then Sunday at 10. And uh, if you haven't heard Dr. Gladstone, I uh, would encourage you to come and hear him. Outside of Jesus Christ, probably the single most person that's shaped and formed my life and who I am today. And he's been a mentor to me for probably 20 years now and uh, stayed in really close contact with him and visited him as much time as I possibly can. I've had him here probably 10 times in the last 20 years and uh, we've, we've gotten real close but nonetheless a father in the faith, a true apostle in my uh, true sense of the biblical definition though he'd never call himself that uh, but he demonstrates the kingdom authority and the manifestation of God in his life, his community, his family. And uh, he has a way with the Word of God that is just, 
Well, it's, it glorifies the Word of God. Amen. So if you can make that, please come. Uh, for those of our body who did not get these last week, we have a prayer time um, from 12 to 12.21 every day. And this is the list. Did anybody not get a list that wants one? Okay. Anna, would you maybe help me out here? Thank you so much. Um, so we're going to pray over this corporately together every day until the season uh, we feel is over with. You can carry that in your wallet or whatever. Or take a picture of it on your phone. And uh, from 12 to 12.21 or whenever your lunch is, we're going to take 21 minutes and pray over those things every day as a unified body, wherever we are, and um, begin to seek the Lord um, as a unified uh, posture, even though we're not geographically connected at that moment. Amen? We're connected in spirit. So thank you guys for those of y'all been praying. How many of y'all have had a good uh, time with the Lord during those moments? Uh, the Lord's really met me a lot in that lunch prayer time recently. Um, it's almost hard to go back to work after you have a meeting with Jesus like that, but nonetheless you do, right? Okay. Uh, yeah, this shirt's uh, pretty important to me this morning. I had a friend of mine from, uh, from Africa from mission work we did over there, and they've been trying to save up some money to bless my family, and uh, um, so they did, and got us these shirts, so I told them I would wear it today, so this is for all my brothers and sisters in Kenya, thank you guys so much, we love y'all, and uh, we pray for you guys and support you as best we can, but this is uh, their contribution to our body today to bless us, and uh, um, they're great, great people, so anyway, I wanted to put that plug for our brothers and sisters in Africa, right? All right. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about our continuation of Sonship message. If you haven't heard the last four or five messages, you can go to ProclaimingJesus.com or our Facebook page, Proclaiming Jesus, and listen to those. It's very foundational to where we're at right now. Um, there's also tabs under the ProclaimingJesus.com page for Sonship, and there's about 20 messages on there in addition to the ones we've been recapping. And I really, really encourage you to go back and listen to those if you haven't heard them. If you don't understand your identity in Christ, Christianity will be a chaotic, uh, manipulative theological expression in your life that will never make sense. And it will always be at the wind and mercy of your emotion and whatever thing is coming to you in your life that may or may not be from the Lord. What God says about us is our reality regardless of how we feel about it. Amen? Amen. Many people don't know what God says. When we talk about identity, usually there's just a cheap little toss in the bucket of you're a more than a conqueror in Christ, but the problem with that is is that people never feel like conquerors. <laughs> we feel like victims, we feel like we are the uh, tail and not the head, and many times those feelings stem from the authority structure and the kingdom reality that we've built inside our own heads. You can't blame God what you're responsible for building. But people do. It's amazing. God always gets the accusation for what we start. We create our own chaos, and then we blame him because he doesn't come and fix it. And then we reduce him down to nothing more than some sort of spiritual lifeguard to rescue us from our chaos when he's immensely more than that. Praise God, we get free from the things of the world. But do you realize that is just the beginning? It is not a noble thing, though it's a great thing, to be free from the things of the world. You were supposed to be that the moment you were born again anyway. There's so much more than just the absence of sin for a Christian. 
Christianity is not the absence of sin. It's the living presence of God. We don't get better as Christians because we don't do those things we used to do. If that was the case, then Muslims will make it to heaven because I know Muslims that do many spiritual things that are great and good. They avoid drugs and alcohol and, and premarital sex and all that type of thing. Those things don't make us the icon of what Jesus died to, be, to make us become. Those are not the standard issues of what it means to be a son of God. If that was the case, the Pharisees would have done very well and Jesus wouldn't have had to come. You with me? So to arrange our life and our theology around what we're not doing wrong is living subpar to the reason Jesus died to set us free. We focus in our, our, our gospel around the absence of sin or the presence of sin. When Jesus even prophetically was stated as he came, behold the Lamb of God who takes it away, removes it. Why? So that something else can be built. And that something else that needs to be built should be the focus. But we don't know what that something is, so we just focus on what we weren't. And our testimony is 10, 20, 30 minutes of what we used to do in sin, but we have no proper revelation to deliver as sons. You with me? Praise God for deliverance. Praise God for those things. Amen? We need that. But that is not the totality of our faith. Jesus didn't spend his life talking about all the, the things that God set him free from. And neither did the apostles. They focused on the centrality of Jesus Christ because that was their identity. His ability was their ability. His relationship with God was their relationship with God because he prayed a simple thing in John 17, that we would be one. And when God prays something, when Jesus prays something, he gets what he prays for. And he prayed that you would be one with him. So most of Christianity, though, still prays as if he's separate from us. And we're trying to perform well enough to get him to come good enough so that he'll touch us and we'll feel better about ourselves. Because you're not convinced about how he already feels about you. So you have to have him touch you so you, you can feel convinced about how he feels about you. Because your entire life is built around emotion instead of the ever unchanging, unchanging word of God. You understand? So all that's my intro to say we're going to talk about sonship again. But in relation to the mind of Christ, what that is and how important the mind is in our journey as sons. The Bible is very explicit about the mind. There are certain things that happen to you when you get born again, and there are certain things that don't happen to you when you get born again. Your mind does not get saved. You with me? Your mind cannot be saved. It has to be renewed. Okay? People get born again, and their spirits are made alive, but they carry the same junk into the new life because they carry the same thought process that they had before they were saved into their salvation, and then they wonder why there's chaos. Because they haven't renewed the, their mind. And they begin to try to live their practical Christianity out of what they think, because what they think generates how they feel, and then how they feel puts them at odds with God, and then they begin to perform, and then you have to create religion. Good with me? All because we don't renew what God gave us in the beginning. Our spirits are born again. But your mind has to be recalibrated to the new life you've been given. And if it doesn't come to that recalibration, you are going to factor everything wrong in your faith. 
Because if the devil owns your mind, he owns your creativity. If he owns your creativity, then he can create through your authority chaos in the earth. And you are sons of God, and the sons of God, according to Matthew 5, are what? Peacemakers, not chaos creators. But we create more chaos than peace. Why? Because our mind isn't submitted to the word of God. Therefore, our emotions begin to run our life. And when our emotions run our life, we begin to create chaos. And God doesn't do that. God brings order to chaos. Genesis chapter 1. The first thing we see of Abba is not love. It's not all those things that we, we talk about. The first attribute of God we see was creativity. In the beginning, God. This is what we're supposed to do. We are to create because we are made in his image. What are we creating? It's not a matter of if you'll create. It's a matter of what you're creating. Most sons create chaos when they're supposed to bring peace. How can you create peace in someone else if you yourself are tormented by your own head? Why are thoughts so powerful? I'll tell you why. Because thoughts use your authority either for or against you. So the emotion that you feel when you generate wrong thinking is powerful, not because of the thought, but because of the authority that you have that you give it. Does that make sense? In other words, have you ever been in a, in a state of a deep, deep depression and anxiety? You know why you have, you, know, you ever feel how powerful that moment is? How depressing and sick and disgusting that feels? The feelings that you're feeling, the raw power of that moment is your power being used against you. It's not the devil. The devil has no power. He's been stripped of his power. So he has to use yours. He has to use your authority against you because that's the only way he can get into your, into your life. He has no authority. Do you understand that? The chaos that's in your marriage is created by you. You created that. Even though you're trying not to now, you're still reaping things you sowed a long time ago. And you said things to your spouse and to your family that began to plant seeds inside of them. And you created this thing that you're now having to live with. It's your power and your authority comes from your mind, checked or unchecked. You with me? So... We have to renew our mind. To renew our mind means to come into the reality of what, the way Christ thinks, not the way we think. With me? All right, got to get going on my notes or you're all going to get preached at for a long time here. Trees in the garden are for a choice. Remember in Genesis, there's two trees, right? One of what? Knowledge of good and evil. Because... Knowledge, gnosis, comes from thinking, the ability to ponder thought. And the other is a tree of life. One can only impart death. One can only impart life. By their very nature, that's all they can do. You understand, you plant a grape seed, you get grapes. You plant apples, you get apples. You don't get thorns when you plant an apple seed. It doesn't work that way. You with me? The trees are true to its nature. And when you, when you partake of and feed upon the knowledge of good and evil, you're feeding upon the right and wrong of sin. And then that, all that's going to come from eating that fruit is death. 
Because you're, you're partaking mentally of something that you were never created to, to, to partake of, but you had to have the choice to do so. You had the, had the mental capacity God had to give you to be able to make a choice between what kind of life you were going to have. And the pondering of that death only produces more death. This is why we are, even our modern-day prophets, all they are is just fault finders. Not all of them. I don't say all of them, but many of them. And this is what we do in our churches. Well, you know, well, I, I just feel, I, I feel, I, I don't know, I just have a check about that guy. Why? Because of the sin you see or because of the life of God that's present that you can't see? And then we begin to divide our churches and ministries based upon what's wrong in that church, what's wrong in that church. And I don't agree with that theology, and I don't agree with this theology, and this theology. Because all, all we can do is find fault with each other's theology. And we're not able to give life. Because what? Your version is the best theology ever, right? That's why your life's so perfect. That's why your marriage is so great. You with me? I mean, we're so confident in our theology, but we're not confident in our life. We'll sit there and argue the scriptures to somebody that disagrees with us, but our lives are in chaos. It's amazing to me. Like I told you guys last week, I have people come to me all the time, well, I just disagree with that or whatever it might say. And after a while, they learn not to argue with me. I don't know why, but they learn not to argue with me. But then when they start to try, they're like, when's the last time you got somebody born again? And they all shut up. You know why? Because they, 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 their, their theology is about them. Because their life is about them. Because their thoughts are about them. The mind of Christ is about other people. The Bible says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. What was that mind? Anybody know the last part of the verse? To think about other people more than you think about yourself. To put somebody else first before you put yourself first. This is the mind of God. But our relationship with Jesus is so personal, it's all about us. Jesus' relationship with us, was, with his father, was so personal, it was about us. It wasn't about him. You see the difference? Yeah. So if we're claiming to be sons of God, women included, we have to think like God. With me. Yeah. You don't get the right to be a born-again believer and think like a man. You have the right to think like God. That's why he shed his blood this is why the Bible says you have the mind of Christ. If you have the mind of Christ, you have the mind of God, which means you don't get to think like man. I'll prove it to you scripturally if we get there. With me? So the mind of Christ is the only authority that can handle the tree of knowledge. Period. God's mind is the only one that can handle the knowledge of, of, of good and evil without judgment, without criticism, without offense. And we still don't eat very well of that. We see things that are wrong, and all we do is it just... We hone in on it like an eagle, and we can't see anything else. Most pastoral counseling is nothing but trying to play referee between two people. This is, they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong. Yeah, well, we're all wrong. Who's able to give life? You with me? Okay, all right. So we can't, we have to, we have to got, we've got to protect our minds. We cannot allow... The enemy to dictate the reality of our life. But he does. Literally, he uses your head as a steering wheel to put you in positions that he wants to use you as in people's lives. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. Let's, let's look at this. If, if they can get up on the board here. See, patterns of thoughts. See, thoughts can be taken captive. But patterns... Are strongholds. 
You with me? You ever, you ever know somebody who's prone to rejection? No matter what you say, they always take it as you rejecting them, no matter how accepting it is. No matter, it doesn't matter how, I mean, I, I, have, I have been over backwards for some people before, and it doesn't matter what I do. It's like if I, if I one thing mis, misunderstood, and they, I, I just hate their guts. I, I, I don't love them anymore. Why? Because it's a pattern of thinking that's built a stronghold. One individual thought is not enough to build a stronghold. One brick doesn't build a house. But brick by brick, if you begin to build the patterns and thought patterns of rejection in your life, what's going to happen is, is that you're going to eventually have a structure that it's going to take somebody very wise to be able to scale. And most people don't have the energy to scale it because they're too focused on themselves, so therefore you end up more isolated, which only feeds into the lie of rejection because then people push you away. With me. You see how the cycle works. And then you drill your own grave. Because patterns create strongholds. This is why we have to keep the mind of Christ in our hearts, in our minds. All right? It says, <clears throat> okay, so, so he's here, the sa- Satan's here, and he's talking to Adam and Eve, and he's actually talking to Eve here. He says, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Now, I've preached this before, but even physiologically, we don't see with our eyes, we see with our brains. You guys know that, right? Our eyes are just a, a lens. It's just a window. That's it. Our brains are what processes image. Our brains interpret what our eyes see. False thinking creates false seeing. You with me? So even if something of love is being given, if you have a pattern stronghold of rejection in your life, you're going to interpret what you're seeing as rejection. Pattern thoughts create strongholds of the Adamic nature. Within the Adamic nature, the kingdom of God cannot be built. Within the Adamic thought process, what I mean by Adamic is the thoughts of Adam, the old nature, the old man. Okay? Within that, when the thought processes of the Adamic nature, the kingdom of God cannot be built. And you realize that the essence of the religious spirit is Adamic thinking. Performing the works of God without God himself. Okay? Why? Because the essence of the Adamic nature is always separation from God and always trying to get back to that connectivity. And so we use religion to be able to get ourselves to that point. Service and prayers and fastings and seeking God. Listen, prayer and fasting is not an arm bar to get God to do what you want to do and be what you want to be. Sons don't pray and fast to bring about an event. Sons pray and fast because they are the event. Do you understand that? Everybody, everybody gets so super spiritual. Like, oh, Lord, just do a work in our midst. Do you know how God would ever do a work in your midst? It's always through flesh and bone. God's not going to supernaturally just come down and sit in the pulpit and start preaching to us. He does it through men and women. That's how he works. When he came to redeem us, he didn't do it in the form of spirit, did he? He did it in the form of flesh. Why? Because it's our job to recalibrate this life. It's our job to bring the gospel to this life. It's our job to recreate the chaos of this life into peace. It's your job. You are his ambassador. You are his workman. You are the one who brings light and salt to the earth. He's not going to do it without you. He will not. You understand? Okay. 
God knows in the day that you eat, your eyes will be opened. In other words, you'll think like God. So the essence of temptation for the enemy to a son, because Adam was a son here, Eve was a son here, the essence of temptation to, to them was based upon this. Approach God from what you don't have instead of what you do. You with me? How many of you guys pray from that standpoint? This is the mind of Adam. To come to God based upon what you don't have instead of what you do. Because basically everything the devil is offering them now. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll give you the, the point here. Everything the devil is offering them right now, they already had. The entertainment of the thought that they didn't have it brought the reality of them feeling like they didn't own it. You understand this? Because he, the devil got into their head. Your eyes will be opened. In other words, their desire was to be like God. But they already were. Well, you, you think that God just created them with a need? The only need they had was his presence. He didn't create Adam, Adam and Eve with a deficit. With a, with a deficiency. And when you're remade in Christ's image by the cross of Jesus Christ, you are also made without deficit and without deficiency. But you believe you still have one. And that's why you have to come to church to punch your clock because you don't feel good enough to believe and understand that he's already punched it for you. And because he's punched it for you, you work for him. Because God doesn't want perfection. He has that in Jesus. He wants obedience. To the perfection he's already released. You with me? Patterns of thought are the agreement with a particular spirituality, whether of hell or of heaven. It says, verse 6, and the woman, what? The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that was pleasant to the eyes. Tree desirable to make one wise. She took the fruit, ate, she gave it to her husband, and he ate. She saw with her mind she contemplated a reality of trying to be like God without God that's called religion it's amazing how how good how much how much of a Christian we can be without him it's amazing I, I don't understand how good we've gotten at being good Christian people without Jesus but we've done it And the eyes of them, verse 7, were both opened. Their eyes were opened. Their minds were opened to a reality that they were not able to handle. They now saw the faults in each other. So how do you know that? Because what was the first thing they saw? What they didn't have. Their nakedness. I don't have a covering when before they had a covering, and it was the light of Yahweh Most High. Because the essence of all Adamic Christianity is based upon praying from a position of what we don't have instead of declaring and believing and standing in the thing that we do. Because the mind of a son never, never considers what it doesn't have. Do you think Jesus stopped 
at any point in any part of his miracle and thought, I, don't, I wonder if I've got enough to do this. I, I don't know if I've got enough. And why do we? You ever, you ever thought that? You ever had a bad week and then somebody needs prayer and you're like, man, I really don't know if I'm just there yet. I don't know if I'm there right now. I don't know if I can help this person. I just have, I've had a rough week. I just don't feel very spiritual. You know why? Because your entire relationship with Jesus is based upon your morality instead of his. And let me tell you something. If you want to base your entire being and reality on your morality, you're not going to fare well in the end. Both of their eyes were open, and they knew that they were naked. Amazing, that knowledge, that, that thought. That they all said, I wait, we're naked. We need... And this is what we begin to pick everybody else apart now. This is what we call church. And even, even good church is when the pastor can get up there and make you feel bad about your sin. Right? Well, y'all aren't going to amen me on that, but you know it's true, right? All right, so listen. The, the enemy emphasized the good and slipped in the evil. And that's exactly what the Adamic nature does. It's what religion does. He shows her the tree was good. She saw that it was good to eat, good for fruit, good, pleasant to the eyes. And that's exactly what we do. We see the amount that's good enough to be able to say, I'm going to swallow this lie, but not the actual poison that comes behind it. The thought process that comes, it seems reasonable, seems right, seems logical, seems good. And this is what sons of God should not do, especially in any kind of situation in their life. They should never factor their decision-making process on logic. When God gave us common sense, he gave you his spirit before he gave you common sense. We've gotten so used to using common sense. Well, let me put all the, I'm going to make a list of reasons why and a list of reasons not why. You're going to claim to be a son and use human reasoning and logic to be led by the Spirit, which Jesus says you can't figure out how to be led by because it's like the wind. You don't know where it's coming and you don't know where it's going, but you're trying to harness it with your own power and logic. Good luck. The woman saw it was true, the tree was good, it was pleasant to the eyes. See, the good in the mouth of the enemy, the good in the mouth of the enemy, is what's pleasing to the flesh or the nature of Christ that Christ died to eradicate. The good in the mouth of the devil can only please the flesh. You with me? Okay. See, the enemy could only offer what they already had. That's it. And it's the same today. All he can offer you is what you already have. The problem is you believe you don't have it, therefore you make it so. You're being unto you according to your belief. The power of your authority and your faith is released against you to believe that you don't own the things that Christ died to give you because you don't feel good about yourself. Why don't you get on your face once in a while and hear what God has to say about you and your identity will begin to be healed and you'll start identifying more with his success in your life than your failure. When you feel his presence, then life has been able to get in. Why? Because his presence is what birthed you. Your theology doesn't hold you. It's the spirit of life inside of you that holds you. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so the Adamic mind is always first to see what it doesn't have. 
my kids aren't, my parents aren't, my sons aren't, my wife isn't, my, my, my husband isn't, my money isn't, my bank account isn't. And then we, t- we take all that stuff, then we go call, we call it prayer. You know what that's called? Complaining. Just because you put Jesus' name at the end of it doesn't make it holy. I wonder if we've ever learned how to actually pray. To pray is to pray the things of God that we possess down, not to beg for the things we think we don't have on our way up. A son prays things down because he possesses them. A Christian tries to pray them up because they don't believe they have them. I've said it, and I'll say it again. Sons naturally possess the things that Christians pursue. So the mind of a Christian is always trying to defend itself, ward off those thoughts. And the mind of a son is always on the offensive. The mind of a son sees beyond the attack. It sees beyond the moment. It sees beyond the cross. For the joy that was set before him, and he endured these things. We're just trying to endure, endure these things without joy. You know why you get joy? Because you can see what's beyond your pain. But if you're selfish, all you see is your pain. People don't have joy because they have no vision. Why? Because vision comes from thinking. The ability to perceive what comes after the pain is the ability of the son. Sons believe in resurrection more than death. It wasn't the death of Jesus alone that gave us the victory. It was his resurrection. Because lots of people die, but not lots of people get raised. You with me? The cross is only the entry, it's the door, it's the tool. The empty tomb is the insignia. Don't tell me that in your recreation, your second creation, that God left you with a deficit. Do you need to grow? Absolutely. We preached on that a few weeks ago. But you grow from what you have. My children don't need constant reinsertion of my DNA in order to be my children. They possess what they have and they have to listen to my voice to grow up into what's natural for them. And this is what it means to be a son. You walk in the identity, the reality that God gave you and you protect this steering wheel that's caused your life to have too many wrecks. You with me? The mind of the Adamic nature is riveted on seeing what it doesn't have. Okay. How did Jesus survive temptation? He thought the thoughts of God. He released the thoughts of God. The scriptures are the thoughts of God. It's the mind of Christ. The word of God is the mind of Christ. You with me? And he released the word of God. The reality of God into temptation issues. He didn't fight with the devil. He released the reality of truth over the devil. This is how you work. This is how it works. Right? Do something for your flesh. No. The word of God, the thoughts of God, my thoughts are this. Man will not live by bread alone. I'm not here for my physical life. 
I'm not here for my bank account. I'm not here for getting free from some sort of this or that. I'm not here for, for I am here for the word of God. You with me? The word of God has to submit to the will of God. That's a different sermon. But you cannot go quoting the word of God outside of the will of God. Or it won't work. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was the word of God and he had to surrender to the will of God. This is why you need the mind of Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself, but you can't know the will of God unless your mind's renewed. The Bible says so. Well, I don't know the Lord's will. That's because your mind's not renewed. It's very simple. If you ever get to a point in your life where you don't know what the will of God is, it's because you have not renewed your mind. I don't care about the rest of your theology. If you have confusion in your life, you authored that confusion. God doesn't author it. We have the ability to create. We can create confusion, and we do. That confusion you have, it's from you. Well, the devil just, no, no, no. It's you. He might have whispered in your head, but you're the one that ate the fruit. Don't eat the fruit. But it feels, yeah, because your emotions are connected to the pattern of stronghold thinking. You have to tear down. You built it, you tear it down. God's not going to renew your mind. You have to. God's not going to do that for you. You determine the level of reality you want to think like the Lord. Not him. You determine how much you want to think like God himself. You and I get to choose that. By the time you die, you have in that last moment that you breathe, chosen the amount of the reality of, of the mind of Christ that you wanted to actually have. Go to Matthew chapter 16. It's going to seem a little bit off, but it, it'll, it'll connect, right? Matthew 16. It says, from that time forth, Jesus began to show to his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised again on the third day. So he, Jesus begins to teach his disciples something. Whatever comes out of the mouth of God is infinitely more deep than we can possibly imagine. Therefore, we need to take heed. With me? So... The body of a son, Jesus is saying, look, I have got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to have to die. It has to be this way, and I'm preparing you now for something that's coming. Why? Because the something that's coming is going to bring about something greater. And I've got to prepare you for the hard times that are coming. I'm telling you now that this is going to happen. The body of Jesus was to be killed, right? And that, that death was to bring about a death that nailed our old man to the tree. Because we, in that Adamic nature, in the garden, were nailed to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can't get away from it. Every time you try to be, I'm going to be nicer. I'm going to be, I'm going to be sweeter this week. Does that work for you? No, you either have it or you don't. And faking it just causes self-deception. And you actually... Deceive yourself into thinking you're something that you aren't. Which self-deception is the worst kind of deception because you did it to you. To believe your own lies is worse than receiving one from hell. This is why God honors honesty. Because honesty, within honesty comes humility. Because if you're honest, it brings you low. 
Because I have nothing to prove to you. I have nothing to prove. I have no masks I want to wear. I realize I'm going to be standing naked before God on that final day. His opinion is the only one that matters. And so if I see something in my life that he doesn't like, I want to come in low and say, God, this is in my life. But it's not supposed to be. So let's deal with it. Amen? When you're exposed, and when God pulls the junk out of your heart, you have a choice in that moment of what thought process to begin to operate in. The mind of Christ or you. All right. So his death, Jesus' death that he's talking about here in verse 21, gives me access to not only his mind, but the freedom from the oppression of the knowledge that ultimately kept me from being able to love in the first place. Because that's exactly what knowledge does. When we begin to ponder sin in our life or somebody else's life, when we begin to think these things through, all it does is keep us from being able to love ourselves and love others. And eventually, if we can't love our neighbor who we can see, God says, you can't even love me who you don't. With me? I, I, I chuckle all the time when people say, well, I love the Lord, and you treat people like crap. It's like, no, I'm sorry, you don't love the Lord. I don't care what you tell me. See, Jesus is going to judge you by your works. It's a, it's, it's a work to love people because you have to lay down your life. If you treat your neighbor like garbage and then you say you love God, you need to get saved. I don't care if you've been touched by the Holy Spirit or not. You need to surrender to the Lord and let him work the gospel inside of you. Because the gospel will cause you to love something other than yourself. Okay, so. Next verse, right? Peter takes him aside. Imagine this moment. This is God. The one who measured the sea in the palm of hand, the very exit of the breath of God. This is Jesus who's existed before eternity ever even started. Forever backwards, forever forwards. He's in this constant eternal life loop that we can't understand. And he's got this plan completely bulletproof. And it's solid in his mind. And he begins to teach them the ways of God. That sons have to die. They have to be in a constant state of surrender. And Peter, with a good religious spirit, pulls God himself aside and begins to rebuke him. And that's what we do in our prayer times. You know, half the things that you think you're struggling with that are going through hardships in your life and you're trying to rebuke away is the Lord in your life. Because if he doesn't take you through hardships, you can't grow. And he takes you through difficult things and you're rebuking him and he's like, you know, it works better if you do it with me instead of fighting against me. And we're rebuking the devil and Jesus is whispering, that's me. But I don't like it. Yeah, well, I didn't like the cross either. But I loved you enough to do it. Do you love me enough to do it? That's the question. So you think we equate bad things with the devil and good things with God when actually in the spirit realm the opposite is true God takes those he loves the most through hardships why? because you have no idea the reward you are going to have when you make it through it you will be immensely favored and wealthy in the kingdom of God all the more things to lay at his feet 
I don't have time to go into it, but I preached a message on John 11 where Mary and Martha, Lazarus, it says, Jesus loved Mary and Martha, so he waited when he heard Lazarus was sick. Why would he do that? You got God's phone number, you call him and say, hey, you know, you need to come over here now, my, my, my wife's dying. He's like, okay, I'll wait. Why? Because he loved them. It says, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, so he waited. See, because God reserves a greater glory for those who love him. Resurrection is always greater than healing. We can't see it, though. All we see is God didn't show up. God wasn't there for me. God wasn't blah, 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 blah. Until later on, we realized I was an idiot. He was always there for me. And he came through for me. I just couldn't see him. Why? Because God, he loves to work in darkness. It's his nature. The Spirit of God began to move the Son of, of Jesus Christ. Where did he lead him? To the mountaintop? No, he led him to the wilderness. Right? All that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Where did the Spirit drive him? To the wilderness. You want to get filled with the Holy Spirit? You want to follow the Holy Spirit? You know where he's going to take you? Where the Christians don't want to go. I'm going to rebuke him. That word rebuke comes from two root words. means to superimpose and place value upon. In other words, Peter was trying to superimpose his plan and the value of his plan over the plan of God and the value of God. You with me? This is exactly what we do. We think it's better this way if it'll happen like this, 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 and this. And we try to tell God, like, you know, no, you need to do it this way. You need to fill my bank account this way. You need to bring provision in this way. You need to fix my wife this way. You need to fix my daughters this way, my, my husband this way. It doesn't work that way, does it? I've never had, never in my life, 25 years of ministry, had God do it my way. Not one time. I always had to step out and trust him in places, people, scenarios, even geography that I did not want to be or exist in. See, when our mind and plans interrupt the agenda of God, we're superimposing a value upon God that he does not value. In other words, what we're saying is we want you to honor our mind and our thoughts about how you should live and how you should work and how you should save our souls and you should save our life because, God, this shouldn't be the way, the way for you. We want you to do your plan our way. And that's exactly what Peter was saying. I'm superimposing my value upon your ways because of how I think instead of you. Right? But he turned and looked at Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. You do not savor the things of God, but those are things of, of the things of men. You don't, in other words, you don't think the things of God. You think of the things of men. That word offense means a scandal or an action or an event regarded as morally or legally wrong. But it also comes from a meaning of a trap stick or a trigger stick. In other words, he's saying, you're trying to trick me and trap me into thinking like you. 
That, that, word, that word comes from the Greek word scandalous. It's, it's, it's where we get our word scandal, but it also comes from, the, from a word they used for a, like a trigger stick for a trap. And the devil's trying to gain access to Jesus through his best friend, one of his best friends. Amazing. The mind of man is an outrage to the kingdom of heaven. And it's a, it's a, it's a bait stick to the nature of Christ. He says, Jesus looks at him and says basically this. He says, you're thinking like a man, you're not thinking like a God. See, we, God believes we have the ability to think like him. I don't care what your theology says. I believe what the Bible says. He, ha, he believes that we have the ability to think like him. And if, Jesus would, if Peter would have thought like a son here, he would have been thinking like God. And he says, you savor the things of men. You're not mindful. You're not thinking about the things of, of, of God. You're thinking about the things of men. Your thought process is about me keeping everything intact in your life and not letting anything go wrong and your little kingdom intact. And that's what we do. We begin to wail and pray when God wrecks our kingdoms. And we lose something. A person or money or whatever it might be. A position or a job. And then we begin to think that he's torturing us. Because God exists to keep bad things from happening, right? That's not why he exists. See, the thoughts of hell are an agent of murder and rage to the mind of Christ. But see, most of the time we think hell wants to put thoughts of killing and stealing and raping and thugging and drugging and pillaging in our, heart, in our heads. That's only for the people who are way far gone. You know what the essence of the mind of Christ is or the mind of hell is? Abandonment and inferiority. Separation from God. It's the exact thing that he told Adam and Eve about in the garden. You're separated from him, so you need this to be close to him. You're not right with him, so therefore you need dot, dot, dot to be able to be right with him. You have to do this, this, and this. Otherwise, you're not going to be accepted by the Lord. You can't be like him because you don't have this and this. The mind of the Adamic nature, the mind of hell, the pattern, thought, process, structure of hell is abandonment, rejection, and, and inferiority. And if he can get into those places in your life, then he can, eventually he can, he can get you to commit murder. You say, well, I don't think I can jump that far. Just ask Cain and Abel. Rejection and abandonment from God is the sacrifice. I'm not good enough. My sacrifice wasn't pleasing to him. Therefore, What? He began to look at his brother, think about his brother in a way that wasn't of God, began to consider his brother's reality over his. Jealousy began to come in, and then murder came. We think hell is all this rage and murder. You know where he gets you? He begins to make you believe you do not possess what Jesus died to give you. That you're separate from him still. That you still have to perform in some way to be able to come up to something that, that you have to get into in your life. So the, so the thoughts of hell aren't murder and rage and abandonment. And they're, they're abandonment and inferiority. In other words, you'll be made like God if you do this, this, and this. But they already were. Oh, my goodness. The fruit of sin has its foundation in being rejected by God. 
people begin to give up. You ever got to that point in your life where you feel like you're so far gone, you're just like, you know what, screw it then. I'm, doing, I'm just going to go off. People do that all the time. They try and try and try and try and try and try, and they feel like after a while, like, I can't, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't be good enough. I can't be a Christian. I can't. I can't. So they throw caution to the wind, and they go all the way to the left field. Why? Because the, the, the thought process hasn't been uh, established in them that you are accepted by God through Christ. You are no longer far off. You've been brought nigh by the blood of Jesus. You don't have to be good enough. He was. He will make you holy in time. He will sanctify you in the right seasons of your life if you follow him. Jesus walked with those men and they were fighting and backstabbing and all these types of things in their life with each other, but he didn't get on them for that. He started teaching them correctly. Why? Because he knew that whenever they had his spirit living inside of them, that they would naturally and organically grow into the sons that he died to make them. Go read it. He doesn't really talk about sin much to his disciples. He talks about their unbelief. Because if you don't believe what God's already done, it doesn't matter what your sin is because you don't have an acceptation for your sacrifice if you don't believe in the love and the blood of God. But if you believe in the love and the blood of God, you have an acceptation for your sacrifice. Therefore, you have the ability to walk away from your sin because you know it's not you. I tell people all the time in counseling, you are not your sin. You understand that. Stop identifying with it. You are not your sin. You are a son of God if you believe in the, in the cross of Jesus Christ and you made profession of faith in him. You understand me? So the plan of the enemy is to steal what you already have. And to do that, he has to make you think by circumstances and emotion that you do not possess what you own. You got a bad marriage? Why don't you actually claim the fact that you have a good one for a while? But my wife... Your wife is under the influence of a liar. So be truth. Serve her, love her the way Christ did, and you will see things change. It may take two years, five years. It doesn't, who cares how long it takes? Demonic thought is human thought void of Jesus. Logic, reasoning. We don't have the authority to think like men. We have the authority to think like God. You with me? All right. Real quick, Matthew 16. His disciples were coming to the other side. They forgot to take bread. They were in the boat. They come to the other side. They forgot to bring lunch. When Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, they reasoned among themselves, saying, it's because we have no bread. You know, he says, listen, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees and of Herod. And they're like, they don't understand. They don't understand what he's teaching. They don't understand what he's saying. And they're like, oh, no, we screwed up. We didn't bring bread. We, we forgot lunch. Immediate, the first thought was what? It was what they didn't have. Who is with them? The bread of life. He says, who is he? He's the bread of life. He's the bread of heaven. John 8, right? He is the bread of heaven. He, they, this guy just got done multiplying food. They have the power and the source with them. But their immediate thought in the teaching of Jesus is what they don't have. Because they've developed a pattern of thinking and a Judaic understanding that God's way out there. We have to perform and do all these things perfectly to be able to get that bridge gapped when the bridge has been gapped and he's in the boat with them. This is why the one of his names that puts me on my face is Emmanuel. God with me. 
I don't have to pray like he's a million light years out there. He's in my boat. He's in my corner. He's in my heart. You can't get any closer than that. And they said, well, we, we forgot to bring bread. And Jesus looked at him and said, why don't you have any faith? Why do you reason or why do you think amongst yourselves? Why are you thinking like this is what he's saying. Because you have no bread. Don't you understand? And he, t- he t- tells him about the miracles and the loaves. But what he was trying to warn them of it was the thought process of the world and of the religious system. Why? Because within the thought process is the access to your heart and mind and life. He says, be careful about the religious structure which serves God without God. And be careful for the social structure which gets you to forget God completely. And you know what leaven does, right? It ruins everything. It, either, it, makes, it affects the entire thing. You put a little bit in some bread and the whole thing is inflated. It doesn't take much. And when does that happen? When you're put in the fire. In other words, the thought processes that you begin to build that are evil inside your life are going to be exponentially magnified when you start going through hardships. The rejection gets worse. The depression gets worse. You know what anxiety is? It's your head fighting against yourself. That's it. You don't need a pill for that. You need to have your authority reestablished in your life. You need to believe what God says about you and tell those thoughts to go back to hell where they came from. Does this make sense to you? When we are put under pressure, the pattern of thinking that we've chosen, whether that's of Christ or against him, will be magnified. When Christ was put under pressure, the word and the mind that he had developed under that that hardship came out. Father, forgive them. When all we do when someone hurts us is want to get on Facebook and rant so that somebody will say, oh, what's up, honey? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Heart emoji, heart emoji, heart emoji. <laughs> well, you can take that self-pity and suck on it all you want, but I don't want it. Because it doesn't change anything. Self-pity is a very poor substitute for Holy Spirit. Because it doesn't matter whether men understand your plight or not. You have a God who is intimately familiar with every temptation and trial you've ever went through. And he is for you, not against you. And he's pleading your case at the right hand of God. Every day of your life, how does it feel to have God whispering in Father's ear for your benefit? Why can't you hear those thoughts? That Jesus is literally at the right hand of God whispering in Abba's ear. I'm for him, God. Don't let them die. Keep them safe. Get this thought out of their head. Give somebody a word for them. You understand what I'm saying? The mind of hell is centered upon the human lack instead of the abundance of God. What is it to be to have the mind of Christ? It's to understand that you have the inheritance of heaven at your full capacity. And you can use it or not at any moment in your life. But you also have to understand that the outcome does not determine your morality. Your job is to obey, not to perform. If I pray for the sick and they don't get healed, that's his fault, not mine. I cannot be holy and good and righteous and perfect enough to bring about healing in somebody else. Only he can. It was by his stripes people are healed. 
My job is to just do it. Now, whether it works or whether it doesn't, doesn't matter. You know what we'll do, though? We'll go run to some guy who can do it every time, even if his marriage is a wreck. Which biblically disqualifies him for the, for the leadership position he's in. But we don't care. All we care about is the works. Jesus says, you're not following me in John, he says, in John 6. He says, you're not following me because of who I am, because of what I can give you. And this is, what we, this is what most Christians do. We have to follow him because of who he is, not what he can give. Why? Because we already, if we have him, we have everything. It's the beginning of the, of the, of the message I preached a few weeks ago in John, uh, Genesis 15, that before Abraham was ever given the establishment of, of the sonship covenant, before he ever gave the covenant of sonship to Abraham. If you haven't go back and heard that lesson, message, you need to do it. He, he said, Abraham, don't be afraid. Why? Because within the fear is the thoughts of hell. He says, I am your reward, not Isaac. Not the land, not the sons. I am your own Lord. See, fear is believing that the nature of God doesn't love me enough for God to be God to me in my need. It's an accusation against God's goodness. Fear is an accusation against the goodness of God. Because you believe that you're so bad or the situation is so bad that God's not going to move for you because he doesn't love you enough. He will move. He may not move the way you want him to, but he will move. See, fear is the thought that God doesn't love you enough to be true to his own nature. It centers the relationship upon your inability and the mistakes that you've made rather upon his original plan for your life. Does this make sense? All right. Consideration of lack is never in the mind of a son. In Christ, you always have enough. In fact, I'd go as far as to say this. When you feel like you don't have it, it's probably when you possess it the most. Because then he knows, and you know, and everybody else knows, it wasn't human strength that brought about the miracle. It was your weakness. And then you begin to understand what Paul said, when I boast in my weakness, the power of Christ may rest upon me. So in other words, when, when your emotions are at their lowest... God's ability to you is at his greatest. Why can't you think like that? Because you've developed a pattern of thinking that's the exact opposite. That God can only use you when you're holy and righteous and pure and, and you get through the, the Monday through Saturday without screwing up. Okay, why is it important? I'm going to close with this. Why is it important to renew our minds? Because within the thoughts of God is the creation of God. Within the thoughts of man is the creation of man. And it's essentially important that we create life and peace instead of chaos. You don't renew your mind, let me say it this way, somebody else is going to reap the catastrophe. If you don't renew your mind, somebody else is going to reap the catastrophe. In fact, you've already had it happen. You've hurt a lot of people in your life. Because of how you thought, the rejection, the fear, the abandonment, betrayal, all of it came from that. Everybody in here who has, who's ever gone through any kind of addiction, all, every one of you, it stems somewhere back to your childhood. Every, every single one of you. Why? Because the human heart was not made to be abandoned or rejected. And God is the only one who's never abandoned or rejected us. And yet we abandon and reject him. We do to him what was done to us. 
because we develop a thought process. But when you begin to develop a thought process that's opposite and says, no, I am accepted in the love of Christ. And there is no more holy than I can be than right now because of the faith of the Son of God who's inside me and loved me and gave himself for me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you feel that Holy Spirit come and build that inner man inside of you and you believe and you begin to fight this battle in your head. Then what happens in over time, it doesn't matter what lie comes to you because you are the manifestation of truth itself. You are the light. You understand that light doesn't have to fight darkness. There's no battle there. You flip on a switch, there's no resistance. The darkness just leaves. You understand? Jesus calls you the light of the world. But you've got to be light into yourself first. You with me? All right. Okay. I don't have time to go in the rest of it. I got a whole other sermon here. Know that it's important. The thought processes and patterns which you develop will determine not only your effectiveness in other people's lives, but it will also determine how you view God Himself. The building of golden calves happens because people have images of God in their minds that are incorrect. When you make God into being something that he isn't, it doesn't matter how much you worship that something that you've created, it came from your head, not his. It's important we know who he is as he is. and You don't get the right to, to create him. He gets the right to create you. We have to renew our minds to have a proper understanding of who God is. Moses knew who he was. Israel knew what he did. Christianity knows what he does. Sons know who he is. Christianity will recreate him in a thousand different ways. Sons will bow before who he is, as he is. With me? That's how you bring light. Is that you bring the real Jesus. Not your version of theology, but the real life of the Son of God inside of you. To people who are dead, dying, lost. Full of hopelessness. Really easy. You don't have to be a prophet. You can walk up to anybody in the, almost, almost anybody on this planet and start praying over them. The spirit of rejection and abandonment would leave and almost everybody is going to melt. Anybody in here never experienced rejection or abandonment? Anybody? Look at that. 100%. Amazing, isn't it? Why? Because the devil's still lying to you and telling you, you are not accepted. And you are. Amen? Stand your feet. We must renew our minds. This doesn't happen by spiritual moments. Those spiritual moments where God touches you is the invitation to renewal. Renewal happens when you pull out your sword and you stand there in the face of every thought that's coming against you. And you say, no. Until it becomes a habit. Until it becomes a reflex. Until finally, after a while, the devil says, I can't use that thought on them anymore. It doesn't work. I used to tell a story to the youth kids, and I, I told it at home group the other day, but 
You guys ever walk up to one of those machines that change dollar bills? You put one in and spits it back out. What do you do? It's the first thing you do. Try to straighten it out, you know, try it again, right? Spits it back out. And you're like, dang. So you try another one. And, you're, and then after two or three times, you're just like, this, this, is, this is aggravating me. So you go get another one. You put it in, spits it out. And then you find one that works. How do you know it works? Because it goes in and it doesn't come out. You know what comes out? Division. See, the devil has access to your brain the same way. He puts thought in. You know how he knows when it comes in? It comes out in division in you. But what happens when you spit the thought out? You think he's going to quit just because he, you spit it out once? He puts the thought in. You spit it out. He puts the thought in. You spit it out. You, put, you, you just keep spitting it out. You say, well, I don't know if that's biblical. Well, it is, because when Jesus was on the cross and the devil offered him some painkiller, what did he do? He spit it out. Because the purpose of this life is not to go through it without pain. The purpose is to go through it with him. This is why I know that drugs and marijuana, all that stuff is not right. Because when Jesus was offered painkiller and drugs and all those types of things, he spit it out. Because that's what sons do. They don't need that because they are the peace and rest of God. The goal is not a pain-free life. The goal is walking with the one who took our pain and gave us life. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Father, for the mind of Christ that you say we have and possess. It's not that we have to get it. We have it. Now we must manifest it. We must renew. We must tap into the thing you've given us. So, Father, we ask in Jesus' name for those here whose hearts are hungry, for those who are uh, long to be uh, operating in the reality that you died to give them, that they would manifest this truth in this, this, by this presence of the Lord. Father, touch them, bleed over them again from that great throne of God where the blood constantly flows. Let the Spirit be attracted to their life because of the thoughts that they generate, that our hearts and our meditations would be upon you, Lord, that it would be pleasing to you, and that we wouldn't have the, the uh, mindset of, of what we don't have and how we've screwed up be the essence of our relationship to you, but we would have the mindset and the understanding that what you've done has sealed and secured us for eternity. And we walk in that. We believe that. And we are the light of the world. We are the solution you've sent to someone else's life. We are not. We are not rejects and has been and casts out. We are sons of the most high God, possessors of heaven and earth. We thank you that by this great blood you've brought us into this power. Bless your children. Bless these people. In Jesus' name, amen.